the Rubik's Cube was invented in 1974 by a professor who taught geometry in Hungary. He invented it so to teach his students how they could better understand geometry and math. And I thought, how cool would it be if I preached today and I solved the Rubik's Cube at the same time? And then I realized that's impossible for me, all right? So I'm not going to try that. But the Rubik's Cube is an amazing toy. Uh, 350 million of these have been sold since its invention. And even though it may not have taught me much of geometry, it certainly has taught me a few, two things about solving a puzzle that's multidimensional, right? You know, multi, many times I will solve one side of the cube. I'll try to get all the colors solid, but then the other sides won't actually have the same solid colors. They'll still be messed up, and, and I'll leave the puzzle incomplete. And that's exactly what I want to talk about today. This multi-dimensional toy, it's an illustration of really the love of, of God. See, we have to understand the love of God is not just one-dimensional. It's not just mo- one facet. You can get one side, but if you miss some of the other sides, then you really don't have a, a complete understanding of the, the love of God. And, and as we continue on in this preaching series today, I want to talk to you about the multifaceted love of God. We're in this preaching series called Pursued. And if you have a Bible or a smartphone, you can turn to Hosea chapter 2. And then hold your finger there and then go to Luke chapter 15. If you don't own a Bible, there's a Bible in front of you. I'm going to be reading from one that looks like this. There's going to be one in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, we'd love to give you that Bible. Take it home. And uh, we'd love for you to have a copy of it. And you can read it. And maybe you struggle with even if the Bible is real or relevant today. Well, try it out and just walk alongside of us. And if you want to continue along in this preaching series with us in terms of learning more and and walking in it day in and day, we would love to send you an email, grow at gracelandbaptist.org. We'd love to send you scriptures and insights and application for your life on a daily basis. And I want to also encourage you that you would be inviting people uh, to this preaching series. This is a preaching series I love and I'm so thankful and and excited really passionate about. So maybe perhaps you know someone in your life that should come. Bring them next week. We'd love for them to be a part of it. So we find the book of Hosea, chapter 2. It's one of the minor prophets. And let's just be real. If you still can't find it, it's okay. Go to the table of contents in the beginning and find that page number. It's okay. And you'll find it eventually. The book of Hosea was written a thousand years before Jesus Christ ever came to earth. And and Hosea is found to be in the Dead Sea Scrolls. And we get this this bigger picture of God's love and his multifacet as it's included in this Dead Sea Scroll that we consider such a part of the inerrancy and, and really the reputation of Scripture. And this book, Hosea, it's a real-life story of a, a man, Hosea, who marries a prostitute named Gomer. And as we looked and, uh, and talked last week, we went through Hosea chapter 1. And if you missed that, we'd love for you to check that out on our website. Uh, they get married. They have children. And unfortunately, old habits die hard for Gomer. She's unfaithful even after her marriage. And we just saw a modern version of what it looks like, it could have looked like for Hosea and Gomer to live today and to endure what they endure. And so we unpack chapter 2 as we continue. Verse 5, look at it with me. It says, Their mother has been unfaithful and has conceived them in disgrace. 
She said, I will go after my lovers who give me my food and my water, my wool and my linen, my olive oil and my drink. Now, any of you are familiar with emojis, those little faces that we text. How many of you know someone who likes those too much? That's all, yeah. You know who you are if you're that person, all right? You too can conquer the emoji addiction, all right? So if there was a smartphone back then for Hosea, he would have been texting this over and over again because he's desperately sad. He's speaking. He's sharing his, 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 his frustration and his anger, his, his bitterness and his sadness. Hosea has pursued, and yet Gomer has continually cheated. She's... she's committed affair after affair after affair, and yet Hosea he pursues. Hosea is actually a vivid image for who Israel is. I mean, for who God is. And then Gomer is, represents Israel. And you have this, this idea that Israel is constantly cheating on God. And, and here's where it kind of hits home, because I'm Israel. You're Israel. And of all the things that Israel could be going after and cheating on God with, it was this Baal worship. Maybe you don't know about this today, but back then it was one of the worst cults you could ever think about. This cult was known to have children just for the sake of sexual prostitution, and then they would literally burn the children at stake. This is Baal worship. This was shameful activity in that culture. And there they are turning to this Baal of God's and yet God is pursuing, and Hosea is pursuing Gomer. Do you ever remember growing up and hanging posters or poster on your bedroom wall? Do you remember that? Maybe, maybe it was Michael Jackson, or maybe it was the Elvis, or maybe it was the Beatles, or, or maybe it was Michael Jordan, like I had, and the original Dream Team. If you don't agree with me, we'll talk about that later, all right? Or, or maybe even I dare say it, maybe you have a picture right now, a poster of Taylor Swift. We'll talk about that later too, all right? It doesn't really matter what kind of posters you have, for the most part, hanging on your wall in your room. But what does matter are the posters you have hung on your heart. You see, in the section of Hosea, at the center of Gomer's heart, we, we do not find Hosea anywhere to be found. It's like that she's eating just one potato chip, and you can't just eat one potato chip, right? Like that old Lay's commercial, I bet you can't eat just one. Like you have to have more and more and more, and she's unfulfilled, and, and she's searching. John Calvin said it this way, Every one of us is, even from his mother's womb, a master craftsman of what? Vitals. See, this is Gomer, and this is Israel, and this is me, and this is you. If anyone had right to walk away from his marriage, it was Hosea. If anyone had right to dismiss and judge a people, it was God. But, but yet, Hosea... Eh, and God, they pursue, even when they're cheated upon, even when they're walked away from, even when they have every right to just call it quits, they pursue, they pursue, they pursue. And so I want to I look at verse 6 and following how they pursue. Look at it with me. It says, therefore, everybody say therefore. Yeah, anytime you see this in Scripture, especially in the Minor Prophets, that means that there's probably bad news coming. It says, I will block her with thorn bushes. I will wall her in so that she cannot find her way. Hosea's talking about Gomer. God's talking about Israel. She will chase after her lovers but not catch them. She will look for them but not find them. Then she will say, I will go back to my husband as at first, for then I was better off than now. 
She has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her the grain, the new wine and oil, who lavished on her the silver and the gold, which they used for Baal. See, how we find God pursuing and Hosea pursuing is, number one, through the teaching love of God. See, thorn bushes were the intervention of a loving husband. Thorn bushes were the faithful pursuit of God in, in a hypocritical and, and cheating Israel who was cheating on him with his worship of Baal. God had created them. God had given them everything they had, and yet they think that it's Baal that is giving them all these things, that Gomer is walking around enjoying these other lovers, and she thinks that it's them that's providing all the while. All the while, Hosea is paying the credit card bill. And finally, he says, I'm going to wall her off. I'm going to bring the principle of the thorn bushes to fruition. I'm going to cut up the credit cards. See, this is the teaching love of God. And we see this even in the New Testament. If you want to look at it with me in Luke chapter 15, verse 11, if you want to turn there, and we're going to kind of be flipping back and forth, so hold your place. Luke chapter 15. And there Jesus is speaking to us this analogous story regarding the teaching love of God. I'd love for you to look at it with me. Jesus says, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Now, this would have been a slap in the face, and here's why. They didn't have banks back then. Everything was tied up in either animals or land, and they had accumulated great wealth from land inheritance. So if you want to just cash out all of your stock options, you sell land. And when you sell land fast without planning, what happens? You sell it cheap, right? And when you sell it cheap, you get maybe 30, 40, 50 cents on the dollar. So everyone's enraged that this guy's cheating his father and really the the family out of it, but the father gives it to him. So he divided his property between them. It continues, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth and wild living. So he starts partying. I mean, he goes to Las Vegas. He goes to Amsterdam. He goes to the Mecca of partying, southern Indiana. (laughs) And after he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. This is a Jew. This is the lowest of the low for an Orthodox Jew. He longed to fill his stomach even with the food of the pigs who were eating, but no one gave him anything. His son had come to an unsettling reality that his pride, his arrogance, his wandering infidelity towards his his dad and his family had brought him to one place in the middle of a far country in the wilderness, if you will. And here's the thing, his dad, could have, his dad could have stopped him. His dad could have prevented him from getting the real estate. But you know what he does? He gives him the love, the teaching love of God. I want to tell you a real life story of a woman. Her name is Annie Lobert. It's a true story. She grew up in the Midwest, in this area actually. She was born in a middle class family. She grew up going to church. She got good grades pretty girl, 
Everything looked on the up and up in her life. And if you were to see her today, you'd think, well, that, that woman has it all together. She, she certainly is beautiful, and she has a zest for life, and she loves God. And man, she just kind of living the American dream, and, and even more so. But what you don't know about Annie is the life that she has lived and the journey she had traveled. She was abused as a child, and, and because she was abused as a child, she would learn about the God who loved her, but yet it didn't make sense. How, why would a loving God allow such things to happen? And so she would not believe this God of love, and, and because of it, she would put and desperately search out for love in all the wrong places, and she finds herself searching for love at a relationship with a guy who's 18. They're in that place, they're in that time, they're in that space. He cheats on her, and she's devastated. And because she's devastated, she begins uh, to look to alcohol and drugs and substances to dull the pain. And then she begins to abuse her body and her life and a string of boyfriends. And one night stands, leave her abused. And all the while, she's even more unfulfilled. And she's wanted for a quick second during one night stand, but then she's left feeling even more empty. And then she meets the man of her dreams. She moves to another state with him, and he loves her and cares for her. And she's never felt any more comforter, but that she finds out that he's an undercover pimp. And he pushes her into prostitution. And here she is, a, a young girl, middle-class family, who, who, who is stretched to become a high-price call girl. And she moves to Las Vegas, and she lives a lifestyle that's unbelievable, but in the night, She's paying for it. And, and she said that when she first arrived into Sin City, she remembered feeling sorry for the people she would encounter because of the way they were hooked on drugs. But eventually she became that same person, and she began to search. She looked for Buddhism and Wicca and, and looked at New Ageism and even vampirism, but nothing filled her. And see, this same thing, this is Gomer in her marriage. This was Israel's search. This is my search. And all the while, this is the teaching love of God. And the son, who we find in the passage of Scripture from Jesus, he's in a distant country. And let me ask you, do you find yourself in a distant country? Do you find yourself eating pig slop, wondering, how did you get here? Maybe it was a breadcrumb after breadcrumb of little idols, and finally you found yourself in the faraway country, and you're like, is God mad at me? Is he gone? Where is he? He is there, friend. He's demonstrating his teaching love to you. So perhaps that one day you'll turn back to him. See, Israel was giving all the credit to Baal, and all along God had been providing for them. All along, Hosea had been providing for Gomer, and they begin, and they begin to hedge in Gomer and, and hedge in Israel. And as they do, the teaching love of God is, is, is put more and more and more into the equation. And then in verse 9, it continues, says, therefore, another therefore, I will take away my grain when it ripens and my new wine when it is ready. I will take back my wool and my linen intended to cover her naked body. He's saying, I'm going to remove all these things from their life. I'm going to cut up the credit cards. I'm going to take away things. I'm going to expose the lovers for who they really are. Just an empty set of promises. And I'm going to administer the teaching love of God in the middle of the desert. Just a few weeks ago, my, my wife and family and I, we were all out shopping. And my job in one particular store was to keep our three-year-old entertained. 
which is a steep challenge. So we're walking around. I've got her little hand, and we're walking around in the, in the store, and I'm trying to distract her because mom's trying on dresses. And, and finally, she starts playing this game where she'd go hide in a, in a clothing rack, and then I would say, where's Emily? And then I'd go and find her. Well, she starts to wander farther and farther and farther away. Now, some of you may think, well, what is he going to do? Put a leash on this kid? You know, the leash, make her the leash kid? Uh, okay, that did not happen, okay? Some of you had a mom who did that growing up, and you still haven't forgotten it. Please don't raise your hand. My mom had to do it to one of my brothers, and I'm not going to name any names. Matthew, if you're watching, that's for you, all right? You, you deserve that. I didn't do that, okay? Before you call Child Protection Services, you can back up just a little bit. What I did was, is I chose to give her the teaching love of Father. I chose a point in this, in this room where I could see her, but she couldn't see, her, see me. And I watched her all of a sudden realize she was all alone. And she began to call me out, and I didn't come to her. Now, I approached her, all right? We didn't just leave her there in the coat rack, all right? But we waited for her to slowly make the recognition that where she was and what she was doing wasn't appropriate. And I approached her. And that little girl never left my side the rest of the time. Now, here's what I want to to lean into in this story. I'm not a good, I'm not a perfect father, okay, by any stretch of the imagination. But I was hedging in the principle of the thorn bushes into her life. I was walling her up, teaching her a very important thing. And this is the part of the multifaceted love of God, the Father to you and to I. You know, and some of you in this room right now, you need to hear this. Because you have children, and you need to administer. You need to hedge in your children and administer the teaching love of a parent. You've never really done this before. You've been afraid to do it. But this is a part of true love. You need to give that side of the multifaceted equation. Some of you need to hear this right now because God is not supremely honored as the center of your being. He isn't the unrivaled and unparalleled sun that your life orbits around. He's merely a nearby moon. And his teaching love has you placing him back as the preeminence of your life. And this is a constant battle. But then some of you in this room here today, you're there in the, in the far country and you're blaming God. And, I, and look, I've been there. I've blamed God. And I want you to know from the bottom of my heart, friend, that it's not God's fault you're there. It's your own. And it's not... It wasn't God's fault that I found myself in the faraway country. It was my own. And we've been doing this from the beginning of time, since Eden, in fact. And all the while we have pursued other things, God has pursued us. And he pursues past us, actually, to the point where he steps up upon a cross. This is the gospel. But then he shows us another facet of his love. He, he, in the middle of the distant country, in the middle of the far country, and we are at a place of desperate need, he flips the cube and he says, hey, I want to show you a different perspective. And that perspective is, is that I want to love you in a tender way. I want to demonstrate the tender love of God in your life. Look at verse 14 with me in Hosea chapter 2. It says, Therefore, I'm now going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. 
I mean, before you had a therefore, it was bad things that were going to happen in verse 6 and then in verse 9. But now in verse 14, therefore is not punishment, but it's purpose. It's, it's introducing the blessing. And, and what's God going to do? He's going to allure Israel. Hosea is going to allure them back. See, in God's economy, there's always time for a comeback. In God's economy, there's always time for there to be a makeup session, if you will. There's always time for us to come back together with him. And then in verse 15, it continues. He says, There I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. There she will respond as in the days of her youth, as in the day she came out of Egypt. God's going to woo her back. God's going to help her remember the good old days. How many of you just want to go back to the good old days once in a while, right? You just want to remember when maybe you could see a little bit better, or hear a little bit better, or walk a little bit better, or when this happened or that happened. God is bringing her back to this point. He's trying to help her understand, look, it's only because of me that you came out of Egypt. It's only because of me that you have what you have. It's only because of me that you are experiencing what you are. There's nothing more. There's no one else providing. And then Hosea, he's wooing Gomer. He's reminiscing. He's blowing off the album, and he's not putting on Boys to Men. You know, it's the end of the road for her. He's putting on Elvis, Love Me Tender, all right? And I'm not going to sing it for you. It ruined the moment, all right? I'll just keep going. But in the middle of the desert, listen, listen, listen. In the middle of the desert, God demonstrates his tender love. He does. And, and then in Jesus, he's, he's saying the same thing in Luke chapter 15. This vivid picture of his tender love. Look at it in verse 17. It says, When he came to his senses, this is the son. He said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned, <clears throat> I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He's, he's reacting this, this phrase in his heart. He's going to tell his dad, make me like one of your hired servants. I'll just, I'll go in at, at a low level. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. And he, underline this next phrase, and he ran to his son. Underline that. He threw his arms around him, he kissed him, and he said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf and, and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead. And he's alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. I love that. But here's the shocking thing. But Jesus said the father ran after him. See, for the audience that day, they could have taken a lot of that, and that would have been a little bit weird. But when they heard that, important people never ran. And to this day, you don't see important people running around. They walk with dignity. That's just the way they do it. But the father ran. See, what the audience would have been processing in that place was that the audience... <clears throat> would have known that as that son came back into that city gate to access his home where he'd grown up, there would have been people there, representatives of the father, holding a clay pot like this. And the pot would have represented the relationship that the son would have with them and, and their father and, and his family. 
And what they would have done is the son came up who had spent and gone crazy with the money and the party and all these things. They would have come before the, 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 the son and they would have formed what in their culture is called a kezazah. And they would have taken a pot and they would have just shattered it. And then they would have picked up the broken pieces of the pottery. And they would have said, this is what our relationship is to you. But not that day. You know what happened that day? The father ran. And he knew it was coming. He knew the Kezazah was about there. And what he does, he runs in to mediate what was about to happen. And he stops the Kezazah for happening. And he says, welcome home, son. Does anyone need a father who is willing to run to you in your greatest need? Does anyone need a little bit of love and tender loving care in the middle of the wilderness so that you don't have to get a Kezazah in your life? Does anybody? I sure do. See, that's why we, we call him our Heavenly Father. Why? Because there's nothing on this earth that we could ever experience like the Father's love for us. You may have had a father that maybe didn't really give you a great representation of the Father's love. Or maybe a coach or a relationship. But the Heavenly Father stands before you. He's running to you. And he's saying, before they perform a kezazah, before the pottery is shattered into bits, I want to I want to take it, and I want to run to you, and I want to pursue you. John 3.16 is, is a wonderful representation of that. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Another way to say it is, for God so loved you that he ran to you, that he gave his son for you. And the audience that day would have been floored. They would have been overcome by this. And as we begin to understand the Father's love, we understand that, you know, if you have children— you think about, man, can you imagine a man having one son and giving his one son up for murderers and lives and, and thieves and people like Ray Green? Maybe you. And then, we, and then we come to this point where, and I come to this point where I think, you know, I wouldn't give up my daughter for any of you people. I mean, no offense, but I wouldn't do it. But here you have the, the father giving up the son, a beautiful, incredible exchange the son's life for mine. So that he can bridge the gap that no man can bridge. Romans chapter 5, verses 8 and 9 says, God demonstrated his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, that he would jump, he would stand in the gap, and that the resurrection power would bridge even the great divide. I want to take you back to Annie Lobert's story. So she's there in this room, and, and she's in the life of prostitution, and she's breaking, and she's hurting, and she says, you know what, with tears running down her face and mascara running, she's like, I'm, I'm done. I'm going to end my life. And so she overdoses. But as she's slipping away, and she can find, feel herself kind of going, she, she says, God, would you save me? God, I'm sorry. Would you give me a second chance? God, would you bring me back? And she passes and loses consciousness for a little bit. But then when she awakes, she realized she's given, given a second chance. And she remembers the promise she made to God that day. She, she would quit prostitution because she'd go to rehab. And she began to experience the healing from only that God can give. And, and, and maybe today your sins aren't comparable to, to Gomer or, or to Annie's. 
But I want you to picture one thing. I want you to picture the Father running to you. I want you to picture him running towards you. You see, in, in one sense, the tender love of God is completely received upon. But it's one thing to just receive it. It's another thing to surrender to it. And even though our initiative is not needed, our surrender is. And this is the glory of the gospel. See, forgiveness is at the mercy of the person that has been offended. And we've offended God. And God extends his mercy. God extends his forgiveness out. And we have to give up to get up. We have to, 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 to surrender so that we can see the mercy and the grace of Almighty God in our life, just like Annie did. I love how Hosea chapter 2 ends. You can read it later, but basically if I can summarize it, it goes like this. that Hosea begins to talk about when one day everything will be put back the way God originally dreamed for all of humanity. It's going to be a great day when the lion and the lamb can be in the same room, <laughs> when there's no more sickness, there's no more disease, there's peace. Everything is the way as it properly should be put back together again. But the problem is this, that if you and I haven't surrendered to Jesus Christ, we will never experience that day for those who have surrendered to Jesus that day. So I want to ask you, has the pursuit and the tender loving care of God brought you to a point where you've surrendered? Will you stand with me? I'm so glad you're here, friends. You know, and on the Sunday right before Valentine's Day, what a great message to hear about the multifaceted love of God He has for you. But I want to ask you a question today. Do you hear the footsteps of Him behind you? Do you hear the footsteps of His tender love pursuing your life? If that's you today, would you, would you surrender to it? Would you turn around? Would you surrender to Jesus Christ? If you'd like to do that today, I'd love for you to come down front just here at the altar and just surrender your life to Jesus. I know it's in front of a big bunch of people in a, in a big room like this, but would you surrender your life to Jesus? So you're sick of running. And if you'd like to talk to someone, there'll be people to my left and to my right with a, with a badge on, and they would love to just walk alongside of you, to, to pray with you, to talk to you, anything you need, but would you come forward? Would you surrender to Jesus today? I want to tell you the rest of Annie's story, though, before I close. It, her life had desperately been broken apart. But the gospel began to repair Annie's life. She began to put the pieces back. And the pot was built and made whole again. And to this day, Annie has started a ministry, and I kid you not, called Hookers for Jesus. All right, Be careful when you Google that later. All right? And it's a ministry dedicated to reaching those in the sex slave industry who have been snatched and abused and, and, and hurting. And her ministry from here on out is to extend, is, to, is compelled from the gospel to reach in and extend the same tender, loving love that she received from Jesus into those people's lives. And God is radically changing prostitutes' lives. And I want to ask you today, once the gospel has become our own, does it compel you? 
Just like it compels Annie to reach in to the areas where we have available to, to extend the tender love of God. Let me, let me ask you this. What about your wife? Does it prompt you to extend, you to love, to extend your tender care to your wife, your tender love to her? To, what about your children? I got on my hands and my knees early this morning, and I just said, I'm so sorry, God, that I have not been a tender father to my children. And it just broke me. I said, how can I stand on the sage? And I can just say all these things, and yet I'm not doing this. And so before you, I sin. I, I almost have to kind of confess and say, I'm saying that this morning. That's my plea. Or maybe it's to extend the tender love in your coworker's life or in your neighborhood's life or your family's life or your friend's life. Where is it for you? Even would it compel you today to say, you know what, I'm going to go to the ends of the earth. I'm going to be a, a missionary. I'm going to move from here to another planet. Or not another planet, but another country. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe another planet. I don't know. <laughs> but God is doing a work. And so if that's you today, what I would love for to see you do is just to step out of your seat and come down front and at the altar surrender to him and say, God, I need your help. I need your mercy so that I can extend just like you've extended to me. So that's where I'd like to end it today. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to sing. And as we sing, it's your opportunity to come down front. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for every single one of my friends here today. Thank you for their life. Thank you for their journey. And Lord, whether today they're in a place in the desert and the teaching love of you has got them in a place where they're learning, I pray that they would learn these lessons. Or maybe, Lord, today they're finding and experiencing the tender love of you. And, and if it's this, Lord, I pray they would surrender to your footsteps. And that it would compel them to unleash those, that same love to those around them. We love you, God. And we give you this moment. We give you this, this time. And God, I pray that you would have your way. Have your way. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.